here on Deep Background for the 20th of September, 2017. Dave Helling with the editorial board of the Kansas City Star joining you. Before I introduce today's panel, I, I apologized last week. We didn't have a podcast. Sorry, the news sort of interrupted a little bit. But today we do have a few minutes to sit down to talk about two important things. The Tonganoxie Tyson Foods uh, uh, story that blew up and sort of went somewhere else yesterday, which we'll talk about. And then later, I'm going to talk to Lynn Horsley about the effort to get Amazon to come to our area. Perhaps a, a better news story than this one. Joining me is David Fries, who re- reported on the Tonganoxie Tyson uh, decision-making process, and Hunter Woodall of the Stars Topeka Bureau. You had a piece of this story as well. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having well, us. Well, David, so this came out of nowhere, and yesterday went back to nowhere, or at least close to nowhere. Give us, if you can, a minute-long summary of what Tonganoxie has been so worried about? Well, to paraphrase Garrison Keeler, it's been quite a couple of weeks in Tonganoxie. <laughs> um, two weeks ago, September 5th, uh, Tyson Foods officially announced that they were going to build a $320 million uh, poultry plant uh, south of town uh, near the almost the Douglas County border. Um, it would have employed 1,600 people and run. they would have run uh, about a million chickens, million point two chickens through there every week. And um, it, it created a lot of interest, a lot of protests, and um, it's been quite a, quite a few it couple It was weeks. a surprise, wasn't it, that announcement? It was the day, I think it was the day after Labor Day, wasn't it? And the governor was there, and it seemed as if it was the, you know, it, the ribbon-cutting type ceremony. This is a great thing. And yet the opposition blew up almost overnight, didn't it? Well, it seems like it, but I got to thinking about this on the way to work today. About a week before it was officially announced, um, I started hearing rumors from people in town that I'd never, ever talked to. And um, they knew every detail of it, from how many employees it was going to be really? to um, the, uh, the where it was going to be. And so... Somehow the the word got out, but I'm not quite sure. Everybody signed non-disclosure agreements, but uh, it was a pretty poorly kept secret, right. I guess. And the, uh, Hunter, this was quite a feather, apparently, in the cap of the governor, who's made uh, you know getting jobs a centerpiece of his time in office. Sixteen hundred relatively well-paying jobs, a three hundred and twenty million dollar factory. You know, we've covered those kinds of things for years, and they happen. And no, but in this case, it didn't. Talk to me a little bit about the governor's role and the state's role in all of this and and whether or not they're surprised this morning. Well, it was interesting. So, of course, you know, when Brownback ran for re-election, he had that campaign, you know, I think it was like want to bring 25,000 private sector jobs to Kansas, you know, every year. And obviously he's fallen well short of that throughout his second term. And obviously now with him leaving for D.C., again, we don't know when he's leaving, but this kind of seemed like a nice, you know, kind of, you know, okay, I'm leaving here. You know, this, this is supposed to be a relatively easy thing, it seemed like. And of course, you know, yesterday we, you know, we still haven't heard back from the governor about his reaction. I just can't imagine that he's pleased. Um, but it seemed, you know, it seemed to catch everybody off guard. This this kind of backlash. Yeah. I mean, when he kicked off, I mean, this, I think his comment was, "This will be great, for, you know, great for Kansas or something to that effect." And 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 at least some people in Tonganoxie didn't agree. Now, now, David, what was the basis of the objection from the people in that in that community? There are the three main uh, objections. One of them is, the one that people most talk about is environmental. Is it going to stink? Is it going to ruin the water? That's the one you hear the most. And then you hear, is Tonganoxie ready for it? Because 1,600 people working in a factory next to a town of 5,000 people, if their families were to come and work there, that 
you know, the infrastructure of the town is kind of strapped at the time. The, the schools are nearing or at their max at right now. So people were Tonganasi concerned about this. Tonganasi is not the locus of a lot of industrial uses, no. is it? I mean, it just isn't. Not it's right only, now, but yeah. I think, but that's the plan. They, uh, I'm, uh, they put in the, uh, the spur from the interstate about 10 years ago, and the whole idea was that corridor, that County Road 1, would be home to some industry and some businesses at some point. Right. But not just not this business, at least based on the reaction from a large segment of the public. And really, the about face of the local elected officials was pretty interesting, too, wasn't it? That was strange. Um, <laughs> it, it was strange because I kind of saw the county commission on Monday. They decided to rescind the resolution that would that outline the process for financing this plant. I kind of saw that as just purely cosmetic, and then they could bring this whole process out into the open. Um, and then later that night, a city council for the five city council members said that they were now against the, the plant. But um, to see that Tyson... Came back well, why did they change their minds? It was the public pushback, wasn't yeah, it? I mean, when you have 2,000 people show up in a park um, in a town of 5,000, that's kind of hard to ignore. Right, and they obviously didn't. But is it, in your view, did they use the uh, changing vote as an excuse? I mean, it was so quick that you get the idea that in, in some ways Tyson did not anticipate the blowback, took a look at it for a couple of weeks and said, well, we need to figure out another way to do this maybe. I've heard, I uh, haven't heard this from Tyson, but I've heard from people saying that they were they were unprepared for this. They were unprepared to build a new facility like this in the age of social media um, and maybe weren't ready for what, what kind of movement that it created. All right, Hunter, bring us up to date then. Yesterday on the 19th, Tyson put out a letter uh, in which it sort of said we're pulling out or we're, we're putting this on hold. It, it was a little bit dubious. Do we think at any, any there's any path for them forward in Tonganoxie based on what what we now see? Well, the first thing I did once you know I heard the news and I talked to David was I called um, Jim Carlson, who's a uh, state rep for Tonganoxie. He's a Republican. He said, well, you know, this, it could still come here, like the, you know, it could still come somewhere else in Kansas. So he seemed to be a little bit hesitant on that. But of course, he was opposed to it. He was part of that group, I believe, in the park who they decided they were opposed to it after that meeting. Um, but he said, you know, I hope it finds a place somewhere. I just don't want it to be here, essentially. Yeah, you know, it, it's almost impossible to see a scenario in which uh, Tyson would lay low for a while and come back to Leavenworth without just an overwhelming reaction, a negative reaction to that, right? I mean, the idea that, well, that we after two weeks, we're putting it on hold, and then six months later to resurface would make the public even more angry. I mean, I, I you know, you don't want to read too much into this release, but after a two-week blowback to say, in essence, we're putting it on hold, seems to be a fairly strong signal that this project is dead. I would agree with you, except for this point. I feel like there's a, a whole swath of people who are in favor of this project that are afraid to speak out. Um, That's pe fascinating. People who have spoken out. And who would be in favor of it, David? Well, um, I mean, it is jobs. Let's face it, 1,600 jobs. People who are interested in the, in the area growing. People who are interested in, in um, you know, more jobs in the area. But also, Tax base, you get more people, more shops, sure. more money circulating through the community. Tonganoxie is an interesting community, and in it's... it's uh, it's a rural community, but it's full of suburbanites, um, and it has lost a little bit of its touch with the ag community. Um, a lot of old farm fields are now uh, subdivisions and whatnot. But there is a there is a 
a, a growing voice out there of people who are in favor of it and think it's a good idea. And for agriculture, it would be a good idea. It might be a good right. idea. Right. It would you make know? farm, you know, you'd start growing chickens and, and raising chickens and selling them to Tyson. I mean, that was part of the deal, too. And it's a lot cheaper to raise chickens than it is to raise cattle or crops or anything. You don't need as much space. And so for that crowd, I think that I think they're going to start talking a little bit more, but I have yet to have anybody talk to me about it on the record. But but the idea that Tyson would, again, after just a 14-day period, in essence, walk away or at least put put the project on hold, suggests, as you say, David, that they weren't ready for the reaction from the community and they weren't willing to fight through it. They didn't. There was nobody there saying, well, we just need to do more education, we need to more community outreach. To walk away at this early date suggests that Tyson is you know not ready for that and may have options right they may and the state has told me that they have seven to ten communities in kansas that have expressed interest from border to border east to west north to south um it could end up moving closer to kansas city um it could be moving farther out west it could move to tennessee i I don't know right right right. and so hunter what what is the posture of the state now i mean does the state still actively or do you anticipate it will still actively pursue this opportunity? Uh, or is it sort of a little gunshine now that this, this has happened? Well, it'll be interesting because, again, you still haven't heard back from the governor. I, you know, I called the spokesman for Commerce yesterday, and they, they seemed you know, caught off guard by this. They didn't have any statement ready. Secretary right, didn't know what to right. say. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle but this. But isn't it interesting that, that even Republicans, who might be considered more pro-business, at least in the area, seemed less than than enthusiastic about this project. And oh, by the way, there were tax breaks and incentives built into the into the project from the beginning, which normally some Republicans might be a little skeptical of. I mean, it doesn't seem like this is a partisan issue at all. Would it become that? Does it become that? Or do you think that that uh, this is much more about the merits and that we'll sort of argue about it down the road if it goes to another place in Kansas. Well, I think, you know, with the lawmakers that opposed that they were just very much responding to their communities, it seemed like, especially with that town hall with, you know, I think right. it's a 2,000 people. And they people turned so. on a dime, didn't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, people who were sort of enthusiastic, not so much anymore. Well, and it was funny, that was, you had, you know, Senator Tom Holland, a Democrat, right. you know, you had Representative Lloyd Dove, a conservative Republican, you know, and then you obviously had Representative Carlson, who's a moderate. So right. the idea, you know, you had Right, the whole deal. So it would be interesting, though, if this does move to another part of Kansas, if you see the same kind of response and, you know, our lawmakers going to respond, you know, almost more forcefully immediately, you know, based off what they've seen with Taganoxie. Right, right, right. Is this a setback for Sam Brownback? Well, this seemed kind of like a little bit of a victory tour thing. This is, you know, almost easy slam dunk type thing, you know, day after after Labor Day, you do this event, you know, and he has a statement saying, you know, this is an outstanding place for Tyson in Kansas, and... Then this happens. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, we, he's still kind of waiting in limbo to see when he goes to D.C., and obviously that hasn't happened yet. So I'm sure he's not pleased with this news. We wrap up this conversation by uh, asking if there are lessons learned from what we've seen over the last two weeks in Tonganoxie and with Tyson Foods. And I'll offer one of the first observations that I think we've written about on the editorial board, and that is secrecy is not a good thing. And that if you just spring this on people, now, David, you said you had heard rumors of this, but rumors aren't the same thing as fact. And, and the idea that you would announce a $320 million you know, food factory in a, in a relatively rural area and surprise so many people, there were non-disclosure agreements that were, that were signed, that seems to be counterproductive, that there was no sort of effort to build a, 
grassroots support, just boom, this is out of nowhere. That seemed to be one of the lessons I learned is don't do it that way. Is that a fair conclusion to draw? Yeah, and I think also maybe don't assume, or at least know your market, certainly, because I think that uh, Tonganoxie is unique and that it's closest to Kansas's only blue county, right next to Douglas County. And uh, there's an interesting uh, alliance between the left-wing environmentalists and the salt of the earth conservatives mm-hmm. in that they don't want this way of life where it takes five minutes to drive five miles to go away. Um, right, but, right. Um, but secrecy seems to be counterproductive. Now, it may have been that no matter what you do, there was going to be opposition, and maybe there was a sense of that. But, but it, you know, if you hide these things and then spring them on the public, in our view... That that that's all, you're always fighting an uphill battle, and that seemed to be the case in time. Yeah, I think so. Even even if there was even if the secrecy was benign, I mean, the system allows for this sort of secrecy. People are going to believe what they want to believe, and any time that you're hiding something, they think you're hiding something sinister. Right. The other lesson, Hunter, is that I, I, I take from it, and again, you you may agree or disagree, is jobs in and of themselves are not always a great selling point for a project. I mean, the whole idea is we're going to add 1,600 jobs and every other consideration drops away because, by God, we sure need these jobs. But I think we learned in Tonganoxie and again with Tyson Foods that jobs are important, but they're not the only criteria. Clean air, clean water, plant safety, impact on community, all of those questions have to be balanced against the economic development. Is that a fair conclusion? Well, it's a very interesting point. I mean, this definitely became not so much a black and white issue. It became very complex very quickly. It wasn't as simple as there's jobs and this will be, you know, that's good for the community. I think you're right. And when you have 3.9% unemployment in a state, which is basically full employment, uh, the promise of 1,600 jobs, particularly, I must say, David, and you, you saw this too, I'm sure, and Hunter, perhaps you as well, there was real concern about immigration problems and some of the other arguments that were being made that that you know politicians used to be able to sell projects just on the number of jobs they would create and we're going to talk with Lynn Horsley in a minute about Amazon 50,000 jobs but there's always a balance or or should be a balance right and when you make these decisions and maybe in some ways the governor and the and the elected officials in Leavenworth were blinded by the promise of more employment and didn't pay quite as much attention to these other things. Well, it seems, as, uh, as always, it's not as easy as it used to be. Yeah, not at all. David Fries, any other observations you have or any other lessons learned? Well, the other thing to, to note is this looks like uh, a, a David beating Goliath in this case, but I don't think anybody in town thinks that it's over. And there's That's also kind of a, um, a dark side to it in that um, it brought out a lot of good in people, and people were really... Uh, getting to know each other but at the same time there was some ugliness and the yes. people calling names some threats uh, and those sorts of things and, and and the concern about immigration started to slip over a little bit into some uncomfortable racial things i mean it, it was not i mean it was just a tough tough two weeks for Tonganoxie. yeah it was yeah, we'll yeah. see how it goes from here all right david freeze with the star and hunter woodall with the star thanks fellas both of you for joining us and if david you're right it isn't over yet we'll have you back again and hunter you as well to talk about this in just a moment we'll chat with lynn horsley about amazon so stay with us thanks again guys Okay, joining us now is Lynn Horsley with the Kansas City Star. We'll talk about something a little more pleasant maybe than Tonganoxie and Tyson, and that is the effort 
to get Amazon to come to the Kansas City area. Uh, Len, thanks for joining us. You've been working a little bit on a story about this. Um, I, you know, I think the threshold question is every city in America wants Amazon to uh, come to its uh, region. Is this a pro forma effort, do you think, by Kansas City, or is, there, is this a serious, let's see if this is a possibility, outreach by the community? Well, the city leaders, uh, not just in Kansas City, but Overland Park, I mean, this is a right. bi-state, metro-wide effort. Uh, they they say they're very serious, and they are, you know, determined to submit what they believe will be a very competitive bid. I have to tell you that national experts do not give Kansas City a very good shot at this, just because... Uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, we're not as big and as technologically oriented as some other metro areas. We don't have a huge research university. We don't have great mass transit. We don't have a great international airport. And those are some of the criteria that Amazon wanted. Right. Uh, we do have tech talent. We've got an affordable cost of living and a pretty good quality of life. And those are also things that Amazon is looking for. But, um, you know, the city uh, leaders and the, the regional uh, economic development people say they're going to put together a very strong proposal. We'll just have to see how they do. Uh, they have brought in um, a couple of experts on, um, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, Richard Florida and Joel Kotkin, they are both considered to be kind of experts in both urban planning and suburban uh, planning. Richard Florida is a is a name that we recognize from the Mark Funkhauser years. He, he was involved with the mayor on some urban planning things, so right. he's fairly it, well you know, known. The cultural class and this idea that urban centers bring people in. Uh, and, you know, Kansas City is, is on the move, clearly, with technology and with Google Fiber. Uh, and kind of launch Casey and some of these start the startup village. I mean, I think it is seen as an area for entrepreneurs, but many, many other metro areas are too. Uh, you know, the New York that, Times. That's key, yeah. isn't it? I mean, the idea that, I mean, that's one of the problems with a bid like Kansas City's. We might have pluses and minuses, but every city in America is trying for this. Right. And, you know, we have technology jobs that go searching now. Right. I mean, we're not generating enough tech experts now to fill the available and We're told jobs. that by every business in the area, that the, the, the employees they want to hire were just not trained. And, and this is an astronomical project. Uh, something like 50,000 employees, now not immediately, but over time, a $5 billion investment. That's way larger than even than the Cerner project out south right. that eventually is supposed to create 16,000 jobs. So... It's bigger than anything that's been contemplated in this area, and exponentially bigger. Exponentially I mean, it, you know, bigger. It's, it, we've gone through McDonnell Douglas and all these other these other proposals that have come and gone, but this is uh, yeah. you know trophy projects, signature projects. Right. The theory is that uh, Amazon is a genius at getting incentives, and other states have more robust incentive policies. Right. There's also an interesting theory that you know. Kansas City is a primarily Democratic city, but we're in two red yes. states. Yep. Yep. And that may be partly appealing to Amazon because it's uh, business-friendly and less regulation. And I think there's a theory that the Amazon leaders were kind of frustrated with some of the regulations in the state of Washington. But by the same token, they want open, inclusive, uh, diverse communities and I think some people feel like our 
state legislatures, both in Kansas and Missouri, may right. not be seen as friendly in and, that and regard. And people don't tie that together. We talked about that in the editorial board today. But when you, in, in essence, loosen discrimination uh, restrictions in Missouri or do bathroom bills or all these other things, people don't tie that to recruiting decisions like Amazon. But it's extraordinarily important, for, particularly for tech industries that are uh, appear to be a, at least a little more advanced in terms of its cultural approach. Right. To I mean, I located. do think there's a fear that the red state culture may not be complementary to what, right. you know, Amazon is looking for, for, you know, a very diverse workforce, probably with quite a few foreign immigrants, you know, very educated, very highly right, educated. Right. And these will be high paid positions. These are very desirable jobs to bring in. Right. But it's got to be uh, seen as a culturally friendly environment. And right. I mean, the, even, the, the, even the murder out in Olathe, you know, at Garmin, with Garmin employees that had come from India, is a tarnish on that. Effort. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, and the and the typical response is, well, we can get past that. We'll just give them more incentives. But in this case, you're already seeing some pushback, not here, but in other cities going, well, now, wait a minute. This is one of the richest companies in the world. Why do they need tax breaks? Why do they need interest-free loans? Why do they need, you know, the well, free I, land or whatever else they're going to ask I, I do think that uh, Collier in Kansas was saying that Kansas was prepared to offer up some of the most generous incentives they ever. ever have. But Carl Gerlach, who's running for re-election as mayor of Overland Park, said, well, wait a minute, we're not going to give away the store. We have incentives are an issue in his race, by the way, as you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was saying, we need to f- guarantee that this is worth the investment. There is a return on investment. And if the return on investment isn't proven, Maybe we take a pass. But but by the same token, Carl Gerlach and other leaders have said, hey, we are going to try for this. We're going to put our best foot forward. I know Chris Hernandez, who's a spokesman for the city of Kansas City, said so far in the discussions he had heard, it wasn't so much about incentives. It was about, you know, quality of life. Environment. That, that the city, just the benefits that the city And, and I think Troy Schulte, we did a Facebook Live with him a couple, of, maybe last week, in which he said, hey, look, if, it's, if we have to write a check, we're going to lose because we can't write a check that you could write in Atlanta or maybe even Denver or wherever. I think they're being realistic, yeah. yeah. And you want them to be realistic, right, Lynn? I mean, right. you know, it isn't, I mean, I, I think this always comes up and people get, bug-eyed at 50,000 jobs and they all pay $100,000 a year or more, which may be an exaggeration in and of itself. But you can end up hurting your, you know, Overland Park went crazy for Sprint. Right. And and helped, you know, that huge complex in the south part of Overland Park. I remember as a TV reporter going out and shooting video of the empty field. This is where Sprint is going to be. And now Sprint is very different than it was then. Right. And uh, that probably turned out to be a lesser deal for Johnson County and Overland Park than anyone anticipated. Yeah, now I do think a lot of people think Amazon is going to rule the world. <laughs> so, uh, And for the long-term future, we'll have to see. These are speculative deals, and whether they materialize is a great question. But... Um, you know, I think Kansas City would like to try. It would be instructive. It, it, whatever package they put forward probably would also be useful in terms of luring other companies right. that maybe where we maybe have a more realistic. And they shot. have, and clearly the KCADC or whoever's working has, you know, they can pull stuff off the shelf that they would offer to any company. 
but again, it would not be anything near what other communities could presumably offer if it gets into a bidding war. Right. And right. Uh, we should m- make clear, the, the I think the applications or the proposals are due October 19th, I believe. Soon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in October. Yeah. And then I think a decision is coming early next year. Right. Amazing. Final question. Can't let you get away without talking about the airport in this context because everybody's saying, well, one of the things we have a problem with is our crummy airport is not attractive to companies like Amazon. Yeah, I think the city feels like that's a selling point to try to get voters to approve a new airport. Uh, there is a vote what in November. What about the merits, though? I mean, I think that's a good argument, isn't it? That if you want to attract 21st century companies, you have to have a functioning 21st century airport. Exactly. And right now, we have very few connections internationally. I think we're the largest metro destination now without a direct flight to Europe. We have plenty of people who fly from this area to Europe every day, but we don't have an international concourse that's capable. And international flights and all the other things that you want to do in terms of screening. I I think the other thing was that the proposal anticipated not only a 21st century, very modern airport, but mass transit to the airport. Right. We don't have anything like that. And that just, I mean, we can we can have a Clay bus. Chastain is listening, by the way, right, in the corner. But, but to build light rail to the airport is so colossally expensive. Without it's just question. not feasible. We, we clearly could have better mass transit in terms of buses, but even that right now doesn't exist. Right. We need, And I do think that Amazon is contemplating you know, a metro area with a an existing, well-connected right. mass transit system. And, and if you had a choice, if you were sitting down today and said, and, and, and Amazon said, we'll come if you build light rail, I'm not sure that's something you want to do. I mean, it, you know, you'd have to really get out the calculator and say, well, is it worth spending? The streetcar was $50 million a mile, just the streetcar. Yeah, no, you I will You start doing light rail, the cost to the airport is just astronomical. It is. Uh, I do think that Amazon helped contribute to and possibly even built part of the streetcar line in Seattle. Right. And the, and the thinking is that, hey, if Amazon would come to Kansas City, the city fathers would let them build whatever airport they want, right, and maybe right. they could and, afford to. And whatever mass transit exactly. they Exactly. Uh, and and I, that's one of the selling points that I think some people have said is that the Kansas City area would be kind of an open canvas. Right. We are not fully developed. We are not as dense and crowded as Boston or Washington, D.C. And so that might be kind of a flexible canvas for which Amazon right. and, could, and, could paint its own, right. you know, the prospects. Right. And the other argument I've made, which some people think is weird, is in an era of climate change, we, we you know, we're not coastal. We don't have to be completely worried about rising water. You know, I mean, there are physical advantages to being in the center of the country. Except we have tornadoes. We do have that. And I'm not saying that we're not subject, believe me. I mean, we have ice storms yeah. too. But, but in an era of cl- changing climate, a central location easy commutes to all parts of the country might be advantageous as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, all of those are points that the uh, people who are putting this proposal together will emphasize. All right. Great. Lynn Horsley with The Star, thanks for joining us. And again, thanks to David Fries and Hunter Woodall to talk about uh, the Tyson Tonganoxy story. Business development continues to be a major issue in and around the Kansas City area. Thanks again, Lynn. You've been on Deep Background. <laughs> 